Hi, welcome to Monocular, a storytelling podcast where I offer you a one-eyed look at the distant and not-so-distant past. This episode is a little extra special because the specific story you're about to listen to is the one that led me to launch this podcast in the first place. However, I didn't originally write the story with the intention of turning it into an episode of my own storytelling podcast. It came about quite differently. The focal point of the story is the five-day adult swimming class in Sarasota, Florida, which I took part in last November. A short while before making the trip to Florida, I told my friend Megan about what I was about to go through, trying to learn to swim as an adult. She was equally supportive and intrigued, and so much so that she encouraged me to write an essay about the experience once I was on the other side of it. So I did, and it was the first time in a long while, maybe even years, that I'd written purely for my own pleasure. It was a thoroughly exciting reminder of what a joy this kind of writing is especially when you already spend most of your professional work life as a writer doing his best to satisfy clients, editors, and project managers. I send off the finished essay to Megan, and she liked it enough to encourage me to try and have it published somewhere. I obviously appreciated that feedback greatly, but I wasn't sure which publication would publish an almost 4,000-word essay on adult swimming, so I was a little hesitant to pursue that avenue. Then, while riding in the car with my wife, heading towards her parents' house for Thanksgiving, I had a bit of an epiphany. I could launch my own storytelling podcast and have the essay be one of the episodes. That way, I would have an ongoing platform for publishing my own stories, which would also satisfy my recently rediscovered joy of writing for my own pleasure. Fast forward a few months, and here we are. Monocular is a reality and you're now mere seconds away from listening to a story about my adventures and struggles of learning how to swim as a 37-year-old. Monocular is written, performed, recorded, and produced by me, Miguel Elbeck. If you go to monocularpod.com, you can learn more about the show, and you can also check out the option of supporting the ongoing production of Monocular by becoming a patron for just $2 a month. If you want to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review, that's also a most excellent way of supporting it. Monocular is a Torrtown Storyworks production, and for more information about the company, a one-stop shop for all kinds of storytelling, please visit torrtown.com. With all this info out of the way, it's time for the story. I call it the teaching prowess of that first circle. Enjoy. How about when you have kids one day? Don't you want to be able to go to the beach with them? My high school PE teacher was growing frustrated with me and what came across to her as an unwillingness to learn how to swim. The truth was that I was eager to learn, but I wasn't having any luck. The class consisted of roughly 30 boys in their late teens and everyone was a comfortable swimmer, except for me and two other guys. I was standing in the shallow end of the pool 
We were arguing about my highly hypothetical kids, and I was trying to persuade her that they would be just fine, that there wouldn't be any drowning going on in my family. After all, neither my parents nor my two older siblings knew how to swim, and we'd all gotten by just fine that way. So, while I was genuinely eager to learn how to swim, I also genuinely didn't feel scared around water. At least not scared of drowning. I'd always hated to get water in my eyes, mainly the functioning one, even while showering in the comfort of my own home. And I never voluntarily fully submerged myself in water. But maybe I should have felt scared. After all, I did have a quite dramatic experience with water when I was four years old. I was with my family at a North Sea beach on the west coast of Jutland, Denmark. I wasn't too far out into the water, but far enough for a relatively giant wave to grab a hold of me, threatening to pull me much further out into significantly deeper waters. But my sister, eight years my senior, had terrific reflexes. She grabbed my arm and instantly pulled me to safety. My outfit, which was not a swimsuit, but just a regular summery outfit for a little boy, was drenched in water and I got to put on my sister's dry t-shirt, which was way too big for me. My parents snapped a photo of me on the beach at that point. I'm smiling in the photo as I'm sitting there with wet hair in a striped oversized t-shirt. As such, the memory looks quite like a happy one, even if the size of the wave in the background is a reminder of what had just happened. Maybe that's why it didn't get stored in my brain as anything like a near-drowning experience, but rather as a quite happy childhood memory, of being at the beach with my family, getting all the attention from the rest of my family that I, as its youngest member, naturally craved. A good handful of years later, in fifth grade, my public school teachers were the first people to try and teach me how to swim. They didn't succeed, but I wasn't scared of being in the water. Quite the contrary. In fact, as long as I had a styrofoam plate to hold on to and two big flippers on my already pretty big feet, I was really quite happy hanging out in the water, moving myself around. But as soon as the teachers took away my helpful devices, I'd go back to being really quite frustrated, especially as a certain teacher did her best to explain how I should be moving my arms and legs, only to grow frustrated with me when I didn't catch on at all. The feeling of having the styrofoam to hold on to was amazing. It was like the side of the pool, except you could push it around in front of you. Without it, as I would try to put my arms out in front of me while in a vertical position in the water, My arms would just fall into the water, and nothing worked in terms of keeping me afloat. Fun would be replaced with fear and excitement with anxiety, much in the same way I still experience a sudden loss of control. In between these efforts in the middle of my public school years and my high school effort another handful of years later, I didn't make any effort whatsoever to learn how to swim. My immediate family, all decidedly non-swimming humans, made no effort to encourage me either. So, when I ended up on the dummy team in high school PE class with a headcount of three, my hopes and ambitions in terms of actually learning how to swim were not exactly sky high. Nevertheless, I tried out the various techniques again, but still, nothing worked. That, however, was not the case for the two other guys on the dummy team. They picked up on it, and before long, I was the only boy out of 30 that did not know how to swim. This didn't help my social status in high school, And maybe that added to my growing resentment and skepticism in terms of anyone ever thinking they would be able to teach me. So be it. I wasn't a swimmer.
Roughly two decades later, I find myself in North Carolina, happily married to a woman for whom swimming has seemingly always felt completely natural. She grew up by Lake Norman near Charlotte, and the family summer home is on Amic Lake in Ontario, Canada. There are multiple boat owners to be found among her family members, and she's quite a skilled captain of smaller boats herself. Many of our fondest memories together involve somebody of water, most often a lake, often hanging out on a dock with a drink. With considerable frequency, we find ourselves sailing around, especially in Canada, where one cannot even get to the family summer home without sailing across Amic Lake. She fully intends to keep us hanging out near water for the rest of our life together. And when we hopefully have kids one day, the goal will naturally be to make them love water as much as she does. I've never minded that, and I've generally felt sufficiently safe in all the various water-adjacent situations we've found ourselves in. On boats, I always wear a life jacket, and that has assured me that, even if the boat was to tip over and I was to end up in the middle of a deep lake, I'd be fine. The honest truth is that on the scariest boat ride I've been on with her, which also involved my father-in-law, two of his lifelong friends, and what felt like an almost sideways sailboat, I was more concerned about losing my overly precious phone in the lake than about what would happen to me if I fell in. It's a somewhat silly way to measure safety, but I take it as an indication that I generally felt sufficiently safe. That said, it wasn't exactly a pleasant, completely anxiety-free experience. However, my wife never felt that I was sufficiently safe around water. Specifically, she was brought to tears one night as she relayed to me the intensely horrific scenario where both I and a still hypothetical child were to both fall in the water and she'd have to choose which one of us to save. This conversation happened after we'd already been discussing me taking swimming lessons for at least a year and me never getting around to it. But at that point, my motivation shifted. Even if I personally didn't feel too concerned about being in, on, or near water, it was clear that my wife had significant and legitimate concerns. So, from that moment on, I have carried with me the realization that this whole swimming thing wasn't just about me and my comfort level around water. It was also about her. Shortly after, she did some thorough research on the best adult swimming classes in America, if she hadn't, in fact, already done that at that point. The superior one was called Miracle Swimming for Adults, and they had classes in the San Francisco Bay Area and Sarasota, Florida. On a Saturday morning in June, we signed me up for an intense five-day course consisting of eight three-hour lessons in Sarasota in November. What convinced me more than anything that this course could indeed be what finally taught me how to swim were two quite different things. First of all, the accompanying website promised that 99.5% of students would learn how to swim based on this course, and that the half percent who didn't learn were the people who didn't even show up. That's the kind of argument I fall for. Second of all, the approach took its starting point in mindfulness and the core principle of staying in the first circle, which means that your mind and body are in the same place, which is a prerequisite for effective learning. The further out of your body your mind drifts, the less present and comfortable you are. And when you're completely out of the circle, stage five, you're full on panicking and as far outside of your body as you can be. This approach greatly appealed to me too, especially because the accompanying book, which I started to read before the course, correctly pointed out that all the failed attempts at learning how to swim had been with teachers that focused on learning specific skills. This wasn't about skill, but rather about getting comfortable in water. As such, when I showed up for the first class in Sarasota, 
I was genuinely hopeful, uplifted and with the sense that I could go from a decidedly non-swimming human to some sort of swimmer within merely five days. The class was led by a 50-something British woman, and along with my seven fellow students, the group made up a pleasantly diverse bunch of people with three men and five women. There was only one other white guy in the group, and he was even taller, balder, and lankier than me. He was a 52-year-old executive at a big company, specialized in outdoor gear and hunting equipment, thus proving to be an all-around quite different person from me. But even so, our teacher still got us confused. People came from all over America, and like me, a few people were born outside of the country, including Azerbaijan and Mexico. At least one person was younger than me, and a few seemed similarly aged, while a few were definitely quite a bit older. Each of the eight three-hour lessons consisted of one hour on land, which meant talking in the lounge of the resort hotel, whose pool we would be splashing around in during the other two hours of each class. Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday had double classes, from 9 to 12 and 3 to 6, while Tuesday and Friday only had morning classes. The week turned out to be as much of an emotional roller coaster as so many other experiences in my life. This became exceptionally evident on the very first day. The first class emphasized learning the front float, which means being face down in the water with arms and legs completely relaxed, feeling the water keep you up. This in and of itself sounded terribly intimidating, not least in terms of getting water in my eyes. But since we all got to wear swim goggles, I carefully started putting my head underwater. Soon, I realized that it was actually quite fun to do so, especially looking around underwater, and slowly but steadily, I tried allowing myself to float. After a surprisingly short amount of time, I'd mastered it. It was a revelatory experience, and I got an intense rush out of it. I felt happy and excited and even more convinced that I would, indeed, be able to learn how to swim before the week was over. I told my wife all about it during the lunch break over crepes, and my joy was matched by her and how proud she was of me. However, the joyous feeling did not last. The next step and the focus of the second class was the so-called unfloat, which is when you get yourself in an upright position in the pool after doing the front float. Everybody else seemingly learned quite quickly, and they moved on to practicing the back float, which is exactly what it sounds like, floating on your back. It took me quite a while to learn the unflowed, and just as I started to make a little progress, everybody else, led by the teacher, moved to the deep end of the pool to start building a sense of how that might feel. I wasn't ready for that, so I did my best to stay behind and continue working on my unflowed, but the teacher essentially insisted on my joining the rest of the group. This, I felt, went directly against the core principles of the method being taught. Here I was, falling behind, comparing myself directly with everyone else, feeling stupid, not being allowed to practice the unflowed a hundred times like we'd been told we were supposed to. In a similar vein, we'd been told we were practicing comfort, not skill, and I most definitely did not feel comfortable at this point. I was far outside that first circle. Indeed, I felt like I was back in high school. Once again, I was that one kid who didn't learn the thing that everybody else did. At the end of the class, the teacher asked everyone how class had been. I gave her an honest answer in front of everyone and said frustrating. 
She picked up on it and came over to me after class to talk things through. I relayed everything I was feeling to her, and she took considerable note, assuring me that she would have a different approach with me from then on out. She even said, much to my delight, that it was bollocks when I expressed concern that I might not learn how to do the backfloat that everybody else were making good progress with. The following day, day two, class three, I was quite skeptical as the class began. In fact, my frustration grew quite significant, almost to the point of wanting to quit the whole thing. But then, finally, I mastered the unfloat, and over the course of very few minutes, my mood completely changed, as I now felt I was back on track, even if I was still behind everyone else. Then, on day three, class four, we all had to do an amazingly exciting exercise, which consisted of us pushing ourselves from the side of the pool towards the other side. The goal, I believe, was to see how far we could float, but we were allowed to use our arms to push ourselves ahead, all the way to the other side. When it was my turn, I needed to take a few strokes, but I made it to the other side just fine without touching the bottom of the pool at all. Just like that, then and there, I was really, truly swimming. Properly, without any helpful devices, other than my goggles, for the very first time. It was an exceptionally exhilarating feeling, and I was highly eager to do it again and again. But the pool was small, and there were a lot of other people in it, so I had to control my excitement. That same class, I got going on my back float, and for roughly three seconds, I managed to float on my back, which was quite exciting too. I continued practicing the back float throughout classes five, six, and seven, and my frustration grew because even though I had learned to maintain a back float while being really close to the side of the pool and gently letting go of it, I was unable to just let myself fall slowly onto the water in the middle of the pool like all the other students were able to. And at this point, that's all I really wanted to do. So much so that I was definitely outside the first circle again, since my mind was in a highly comparative state. They all know how to do it, and I want to do it, too. On the eve of the final class, I did my best to convince myself that it was okay that I probably wouldn't learn the back float, because I'd still made lots of progress compared to my starting point of not being able to swim at all. Nevertheless, the third and final breakthrough of the week came during that final class on Friday morning. After a lot more practicing without mastering the back float, I asked my fellow tall white guy how he'd gone about it. He explained that I should picture sitting on the side of my bed and then letting myself slowly fall backwards into it. I tried that out, and almost immediately it clicked. I learned how to do the backflow. His explanation made all the sense in the world to me, and it just felt incredible to be able to simply lay down on the water as if it were a bed, peacefully returning to the first circle and feeling my mind and the world opening up again. I gave him lots and lots of credit in front of everyone else, as I explained how I'd finally learned to master the backflow which everybody had learned approximately three days earlier. It turned out, as he told me, that he'd simply explained it to me the same way our teacher had initially told everyone. This was perhaps the clearest example I'd ever experienced of not being ready to receive certain information, until I then suddenly was. I left the five-day course with an immense sense of pride. Even if I still hadn't made it quite as far as most, if not all, of the other students, many of whom learned how to roll around from back to front like a seal, 
although our teacher's favorite analogy was a rotisserie hot dog. I'm still not confident in the deep end, and even though I technically know how to swim, I swam back and forth across that pool so many times that I quickly became unable to keep track. I'm still not exactly a super skilled swimmer, but the nut has been cracked open, and I now have a method to work with. All I have to do, as the teacher put it, is to stay wet. Once again, I went out to lunch with my wife after class, and I expressed immense amounts of gratitude towards her. Throughout the week, she had shown me more support than I could have dreamed of, joining me in the pool after class after everyone else had left, allowing me to teach her what I'd just been taught in class, encouraging me when I felt down and frustrated, and celebrating my victories with me throughout the week. Knowing my excitement about trophies, of which I've only ever received very few, thus increasing their importance to me, she presented me with one over lunch, completely catching me by surprise and filling my heart with even more joy than it was already holding. On the first day after the evening class, back when I was still quite skeptical, our teacher had asked us to do an exercise before the next morning. It proved exceptionally effective in terms of uncovering my inner motivation for learning how to swim. Sure, I was there because of my wife and how important it was to her that I learned how to stay safe in, on, and around water. I would definitely not have taken the class if it wasn't for her, and making her proud was a significant motivator for me throughout the week. However, the social aspect of swimming, being able to partake in what is so obviously a fun activity, revealed itself to be a quite dominant motivator for me too. The exercise was quite simple. Write a letter to the water, then write a response from the water too. My letter to the water went like this. Dear water, for years I was never allowed to sit with you at the cool kids table. I never really understood why, especially not since the kids that were, in fact, cool enough to sit with you included my wife and all of my friends. Whenever you'd invite people over for a party, I always felt like I wasn't invited. The few times I did end up going, I would generally just sit quietly in a corner and watch everyone else partake in the festivities. They'd look as if they'd had the most fun in the world, and often they would encourage me to join in, but I never did, because I was too scared to do so. As the years went by, I learned to accept that I was never going to be cool enough to hang out with you. I learned to prove myself in other ways, and I did my best to ensure that our paths wouldn't cross too often so as to avoid embarrassment. I had no need for running into someone who was just going to trigger anxiety and remind me of my shortcomings. However, just yesterday I ran into you again, but really that makes it sound more random than it actually was, because what happened was that my wife set up a meeting between us because she felt it was time you and I spent some quality time together, that we re-familiarized ourselves with each other. After all, a lot of years had passed since you embarrassed me in school over and over again, and even more years since you almost drowned me and my sister had to save me. So my wife, a lifelong friend of yours, felt that maybe you and I had both come so far that we could actually become friends. She's unmotivated by wanting to make me feel cooler, though. Rather, she feels that I will simply be safer in life if I'm friends with you. Now, even after a surprisingly pleasant encounter with you, I'm still not sure we're going to become best of friends. But at this ribald age of 37, meeting you again has filled me with a strange and wondrous sense of hope that we may at least become fairly good acquaintances. 
that I might overcome the fear and anxiety you instilled in me for so many years and genuinely learn how to appreciate hanging out with you. After three decades, that means a lot. So I'm going to put in a lot of effort into making this work, and I hope you will too. Sincerely, Mikkel. The response from the water read like this. You're blowing this way out of proportion. If you want to sit with the cool kids, just be cool. You're welcome anytime.